Monday, the 9th of November. I'm Randy Couray. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Thank you for the download. And as always, I hope you are doing well and keeping safe. On the show today, the LA Dodgers and Tampa Bay Lightning win the World Series and Stanley Cup, respectively, where two notable names were on the field or ice when they probably shouldn't have been. Steven Stamkos played in Game 3 of the final, albeit briefly, while on the mend since February with an injury, while Justin Turner celebrated with his Dodger teammates after being diagnosed with COVID-19. Does Major League Baseball have a problem with how the game is being played? Home run numbers are rising, batting averages are dropping, specifically pitching rosters are being used with such criticism. The Toronto Raptors have some important decisions to make regarding Terrence Davis. The guard was charged with domestic uh, assault, amongst other charges involving his girlfriend, Plus, the NBA announced their intentions to start a new season less than three months after awarding the Larry O'Brien Trophy to the LA Lakers. For anything, give us a shout on Facebook and Twitter at What's Up Podcast. So, a couple of months ago, I had the pleasure to be joined by a couple of former broadcasting colleagues after so many years. They are still doing some incredible things in the journalism field. Mike Leach and Neil Kumar are both gracious enough to join me once again. Guys, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, pretty uh, pretty exciting over the past couple of days, of course, with the uh, U.S. election. Uh, United States have declared Joe Biden the 46th president of the United States come January. Now, of course, a lot of things uh, can uh, take place uh, between now and then, but uh, guys, the last several years have been extremely polarizing uh, amongst the Trump administration involving several athletes and key sporting figures. You think about Steve Kerr, you think about Greg Popovich, Colin Kaepernick especially. Uh, Was wondering uh, how fans took to political stances or uh, do you, if you think that they're more enamored with it, uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Uh, do you feel that sports and politics uh, go hand in hand? And I know that we did talk about this the last time, but uh, with everything said, do you think that uh, fans were sort of turned away uh, with political stances such as Black Lives Matter, etc.? Uh, I think that. Uh, I think that sports and politics do go hand in hand. I don't, I, I know, you know, I think it was Laura Ingram, the conservative, uh, you know, talk show host or whatever, uh, with Fox. She said of LeBron James, just shut up and dribble. And um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not into that. I'm not, that's not my stance. I mean, these are, yes, they're athletes. Uh, they do have positions of prominence, uh, but they are, they are, you know, the United States is a free country where, you know, individual citizens have the right to speak their minds. And players, athletes, coaches have a pulpit. They have a, 
uh, you know, a public platform in which to speak, and it is their right to do so. That said, it is also the right of fans to, you know, take the messages that they're getting from their athletes, and if they don't like that message, it's their right to turn off the TV, stop buying the tickets, although nobody's buying the tickets right now anyway, uh, and stop buying the merchandise. That's the, the nature of a free society. But, yeah, athletes, have, absolutely, you, they have a pulpit. Uh, they have a, a platform in which to speak, by all means. You know, they, 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 they should. And, uh, you know, certainly I think uh, the way a particular athlete or team or league or whatever, uh, I think fans will, you know, either, either agree or disagree uh, with you know, based on whatever their own political views are, and I think what you, you, know, you mentioned that sports is polarized. Well, as we saw in the United States, the entire country is very polarized. I mean, Joe Biden won with a record 75 million votes. Donald Trump received the second highest ever vote total for a presidential candidate in the United States with 70 million. It's a deeply divided country. So I, the fact that sports is divided on, on politics doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Neil, I, I guess between the three of us, uh, it seems that we, uh, like I'm to assume that we uh, do have the same uh, political mindset. I don't think that we are, say, either far left or far right, if I am wrong. But uh, it, it, it does seem that there is uh, a different um viewpoint if there was a right-leaning sort of athlete you think about tim tebow for example uh who is a very um who is a of a republican mindset of course recently a number of athletes voiced their support for trump particularly around these parts uh, most notably with bobby orr do you think that there is a hypocrisy when there is a a Republican or conservative sort of mindset with regards to athletes, even um, those who are famous celebrities, the, uh, the like? I'm not really sure if there's a hypocrisy, but I know that a lot of these athletes and a lot of musicians as well, I saw were quite vocal and it did make an impact in getting the voter turnout to be at record numbers. As Mike mentioned, we saw 75 million votes go to Biden. And I know Trump was the second highest follow up on that. So, I mean, when it comes to that, I'm not really sure how it works if they like reach out. I mean, obviously they probably have some contact with the candidate and you know, talk about endorsing and trying to, you know, sway more voters to, you know, select that candidate. But um, I think it's just basically we're seeing like this was perhaps the most crucial election in the U.S., you know, history. And basically they just had to make a change. They knew that Donald Trump was somebody that they <laughs> majority wanted to force out. And so we saw the reaction to that on Saturday when Joe Biden was declared the U.S. president. But when it comes to hypocrisy, I'm not really sure. I just think that there was a, this time around, I think it was more about just there were more emotion and feeling behind this election. And so there was a lot of these athletes, LeVon James being one. I know that, like, comes to music, it was uh, Lil Wayne endorsed <laughs> Donald Trump after Ice Cube did, and then he was trying to work together with him. So there's a lot of big figures that were vocal. And I think that that did make an impact. That's why we did see it. Like the advanced polls were at 100 million at the very least. And then we saw, you know, record votes, like I just mentioned and Mike had mentioned earlier. So 
Yeah, no, I, 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 oh, sorry, please. Uh, Go ahead. No, I, I, I guess that whatever a uh, Republican platform is, a conservative platform is, when it comes to abor- abortion issues, when it comes to uh, gay gay rights and such, especially when it came to about 10 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, when uh, gay athletes, uh, when the, uh, the topic of uh, gay athletes uh, was around. I, I know, for example, Tim Hardaway, comes to mind and he was very uh, critical of um, homosexuality within the locker room and so on and I, I not that I agree with a conservative mindset but I, I think that there is something about uh, being able to either support a left or a right kind of view I, I don't know if uh, you guys are able to uh, to uh, tie in or to uh, to chime in uh, with regards to what I'm saying, but is there room to hear all sides of an opinion? Because as we do hear LeBron James and as we do hear Kevin Durant and so on, are we able to accept a Tim Tebow and uh, Jack Nicholas, Don, uh, 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 Bobby Orr, etc.? I uh, you know for me. I'm more than willing to listen to anyone and, you know, as long as they can have it, you know, an intelligent discussion and, you know, I I think I understand where you're going. I I, do correct me if I'm wrong. I I think maybe you're talking about, you know, sort of the, the, the cancel culture of, you know, maybe if someone expresses a right leaning, uh, opinion that is not popular in the mainstream, there's a tendency to want to push them out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that there. Um, I think that definitely exists. And cancel culture, whether it is uh, towards conservative views or using derogatory language, um, that that is uh, a very big issue. I, and I think this is a problem, and this is something that Joe Biden is going to face as president of the United States because Biden in his, um, you know, acceptance speech or his, his victory speech talked very much about unifying. He's not a president for blue states or red states. He's a president for the United States. That's his mandate. And part of that mandate is going to be saying, is going to be able to say, I hear what you're saying, and I respect what you're saying. I don't agree with it. As opposed to just saying, I don't agree with what you're saying. That makes you stupid, and, and we're going to get rid of you. We're going we're gonna to shut down, because that is, that's how Donald Trump rose to where he was. There, there was, a, there was a, a very strong sort of, um, I don't want to say left. It's not left, but the mainstream really pushed people with right-leaning, more conservative, uh, traditional viewpoints to the fringes. And Donald Trump tapped into that. Those people who felt like their voices were no longer even being heard. Um, that, and that I think where we are, the, the, the challenge for, for Joe Biden and for America, you know, Americans as a whole is to get back to having a meaningful, constructive dialogue that is not on social media, 
that is face-to-face people talking and saying, I hear what you're saying, and I can respect your viewpoints. I just don't agree with them, and we have to be okay with that. People need to feel like they're heard. That's the most important thing going forward, I think. Well, I think that that is exactly like how we saw this happen, because <laughs> the U.S. just went through the most tumultuous four years of their existence, and I think that that was kind of why we saw a lot of voter turnout, whether it was we talk about athletes and having political opinions and being able to use their platforms. I think that's what it's all about, using the platform that they have because they know they have fans watching these games. They knew that after four and a half months of the NBA, that they're going to a bubble and that they're able to get you know the fans focused because people needed something. And sports came back at the right time in the summer. Major League Baseball did as well. And we saw both of those leagues. You know, stand up for political rights when it came to Black Lives Matter, and I think that the United States as a whole, whether it was athletes, you know, actors, musicians, they were using their platforms to be able to reach out to a lot of Americans. And I think that it's, you know, that in that aspect, it's great that they were able to do that. And now we have Joe Biden coming in as the U.S. president, and it's nice to finally hear the next U.S. president speak like a president again, because I think that's, you know, some oh god, yeah. For you know, it's warmth for the U.S. citizens. You know, I think that we saw that on Saturday. There was a lot of emotions on the streets. There were cities that were packed with streets. A lot of people were in masks. I think that's one thing that Biden's been doing right off the top is he's been making sure to just kind of get the message across about wearing the mask, being safe. Today, his message was, let's come together as one. You know, we can fight this together. We can win. We can overcome this. If we start to, you know, do the work and you know, start by wearing a mask, you know, we'll do our social distancing. We will get the vaccine. We'll get everybody you know, free vaccination. So he's making a move right now. He's making an impact. I think the other thing, too, is Kamala Harris. I know that we're kind of just jumping off to a little bit of a different topic here, but sure. he's got someone someone backing him that has a lot of inspiration for women. They finally have mm-hmm. a leader in her that they can actually look towards. I don't think that any woman in the U.S. felt any support from Donald Trump. I think they felt a lot of hatred from him in that aspect. I don't know. I you take a look at those. Uh, you take a look at those rallies, uh, those Trump rallies, and there was a few women out there. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, as a whole, I don't sure. know. Like, if sure, you're I, I what, what Give me one thing that he was doing for women as you know, a whole in the United States. Like, at what point was he ever, like, kind of just looking at certain groups and kind of saying, okay, you know, as what Biden was saying today, let's unify as one and try to do this. He was kind of always, in his view, was like when this pandemic struck, it was all about how am I going to handle this so I can make sure that I you still win the next election. That's He was just worried about his campaign, and that's all he really did, and he was – lying all the time that's all we heard from a lot of these americans is how many times he's lying so now there's a lot of positivity in the u.s there's a breath of fresh air there's a lot of relief and when i go to kamala harris as i was saying i think that you know when biden's there he's got somebody good backing him up and so kamala harris as we know of course is the first minority vice president the first black and the first south asian so that's something that a lot of women will be able to have you know some hopes for they will have a woman in leadership that will inspire them, inspire the next generation of women. So there's a lot of hope now in the United States, and there's a lot of positivity. And so I think that these athletes, celebrities, if you will, musicians, actors, what have you, they did do their jobs, whether they, you know, had hypocrisy or political opinions or they were siding with one candidate. They managed to get people to come out and vote by using their platform to do so. And so now we've seen positive change as a result. And not just that Kamala Harris is a woman and, uh, and a woman of color. It's that Kamala Harris is a qualified woman and woman of color. 
Absolutely. You listen to her think... speech, her speech on Saturday night. There, there's, there's some Barack Obama there. Like she's oh, yeah. not maybe she's maybe not as charismatic as Obama, but she is a highly intelligent woman. I think she's perfect for the office and could ascend to a higher office because let's face facts: Joe Biden at seventy-eight years old is quite possibly a one-term president. Sure. Um, I and would I not just be surprised. Quickly... Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to quickly just restate what I was saying. When I mentioned the thing about her being a woman giving inspiration, I don't think that that's like the first thing that she brings. I think the first thing that she brings is that there's a person of color there now. And I think for Biden, what he's got going for him is that he was the vice president under Obama, and Obama had to clean up a mess of his own. And he was there to support that and kind of see Obama kind of get the you know, country back on track. So I think he has that in his pocket. And I think Kamala Harris backing him, being a woman of color, being a first female vice president, being a first South Asian vice president, whatever have you, I think she brings a lot of inspiration. And you're absolutely right about all the points that you made about her. And don't be surprised if she becomes the first female president of the United States yeah. to follow. Definitely is possible, especially yeah. with uh, Joe Biden's uh, age uh, being what it is. And uh, But... Uh, First things first, there's definitely a lot of things that could potentially happen between now and Inauguration Day. Of course, the uh, Trump administration have uh, said that they are uh, thinking of litigation with regards to the uh, voting process that did take place. So uh, anything can potentially happen. Uh, uh, and <laughs> the uh, scenarios are, are uh, infinite. So, uh, guys, bringing it back to, I guess, politics and uh, in terms of sports, especially within this country... Uh, it's really hard to believe that it was just uh, on this date, November 9th, last year, Don Cherry had his final appearance on Hockey Night in Canada. This was after remarks that he made specific to the poppy and how uh, critical he was of particularly new Canadians and the backlash that came from the specific term of you people uh, referring to uh, those who are uh, new to the uh, country of Canada, not wearing a poppy. Uh, especially Don Cherry has been in the uh, news with the support of Bobby Orr, uh, who um, took out an ad or did uh, a one-page uh, letter uh, supporting uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Neil, I guess I'll uh, throw it to you first. Uh, do you think the story, uh, the Cherry story... Uh, with regards to, I guess, cancel culture and so on, do you think that kind of ties in to everything that's been going on, whether it is a left-leaning, right-leaning, quote-unquote, uh, viewpoint? It might be the tip of the iceberg from all of this. I'm not really sure how you tie that in too much. I mean, but when you focus on what happened with that situation, obviously there was offense taken, the way that he said what he said, you people. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of other things tied into it with his situation. I mean... Hockey night in Canada was changing. They changed the culture of it already as it went over to Rogers, in my opinion. And I mean, the changing of the hockey night in Canada, just the scheduling and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot of changes that were taking place with that broadcast. So, I don't know. I think that might have had something to do with it as well. And then maybe perhaps that was kind of like when he said that, that was kind of just like the final straw. So, I mean, like, that's kind of a a bit of time before all of what we're seeing now kind of happened. But I, like I say, it could have been like the beginning of that kind of thing. And it's out there. There's no doubt about that. Great. Well, uh, guys, let's uh, put politics aside and uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit about sports and uh, well, sports uh, involving COVID as well, because 
Uh, three out of the four major championships in North America have been awarded over the past uh, few months. And uh, we'll go to baseball first, guys. And uh, Justin Turner won his uh, first World Series. And like anybody, like I'm sure the three of us picked up some sport, sort of uh, sporting equipment, uh, uh, had a daydream about what it'd be like to win the championship. And when the Dodgers won the championship, Turner especially was uh, on the field, high-fiving, hugging, maybe uh, kissing a couple of uh, teammates. Problem was, he was diagnosed with COVID during the game. That was the reason why he was pulled. And uh, the rumor is, is that one of the staff from the Dodgers encouraged Turner to go. Major League Baseball said that they are not going to uh, discipline Turner specifically. Uh, Mike, how serious an issue is this? Because I get it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, Justin Turner uh, fulfilled a dream. But this are these are different and uh, serious times right now. Without suspending Turner, how severe uh, the situation is with how Major League Baseball handled uh, this particular instance? Uh, Major, Major League Baseball handled it poorly. I mean... He was on the field already. He'd been on the field for that game. Those tests should have been completed before he ever took the field. And if they were inconclusive, then he shouldn't have been allowed on the field to begin with. But the fact that they allowed him to take the field that night, period, I don't... We're dealing with... I I don't even know. I, I don't even... Like, my feeling is his teammates didn't have a problem with him being there. Number one. Number two, if he was going to spread the virus, he probably would have already done it. I think. He you know, his girlfriend. Like, he? Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, like, I, I mean, I well, think they it, were damned. If, I, they were damned if they did, damned if they didn't. I mean, this is welcome to sports in 2020. Like, I, I, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm watching the NFL right now. I've got the, the Monday night football pregame show, and there's about 10 guys piled on top of each other. Like, there's no <laughs> social distancing there. You know, these guys have all, they're, they're tested every day, but you never know what happens on tomorrow's test, right? Like, the, the players have assumed risk. Bottom line, the players have assumed certain risks. I don't. I don't. If I was Turner, I don't know that I. I who knows? You 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 win the World Series. It's a culmination of a life dream. I don't know that I wouldn't have done the same thing. To, to be you know totally honest, I think it's on baseball. I don't think I don't think he should have been in the stadium that night if he'd had an inconclusive test before the game. They, they yeah. shouldn't be coming back with a positive test result in the fifth or sixth inning. That's ridiculous. Well, well from- that was weird in itself. That was kind of weird in itself. It's like you know they got the point where it was eight in the eighth inning and then they pulled him. So like his test result came in the middle of the game. Like that was I kind of found that a little bit suspicious or kind of odd if you will. I mean I almost feel like it was like they knew he was positive and let him play the game and then took him up when they felt they had the game in you know in the sack and they were gonna win. I don't yeah. know like why you would why would you have that test come in the eighth inning or just before then and then like, okay, you gotta come out and then he's back on the field anyway. So, I, I mean, yeah. there's something that was done wrong there. It's kind of weird to see that that's the way it went. And then it's kind of 
odd as well. And then, as I say, like and you mentioned, no disciplinary action. I don't know about that. There should be something. And, I mean, yeah, they were kind of, you know, dealing with this virus as they were going along, but that was definitely a no. You don't come out on the field and start, you know. I mean, like I say, he kissed his girlfriend out there at one point. Like, he was around all the teammates and took a picture and all that, celebrating, you can imagine. And but just I, to touch I, on your point, just to touch on Mike's point about social distancing in the NFL, Tom Brady didn't have a problem last night with his receivers and social distancing. No. That's why they got blown no. up. <laughs> well, I, I but I guess I guess the uh, the question that I have, and yeah, sure, uh, people and athletes are taking a risk uh, by playing in these uh, behind closed doors uh, with the pandemic going on. But and Mike said, uh, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, in terms of uh, suspension and uh, so on. But the fact is, is that. It was declared that Turner had COVID during the game, and then they knew he had it, and then he went out and celebrated, and there were times where he did have the mask off. So that's my problem. So, like, uh, however... Hold on, hold on. Once he's been out there for two and a half, the genie's already out of the bottle. Well, potentially, (laughs) potentially. what, What good purpose did Major League Baseball... Like, they shot themselves in the foot with this. Why reveal that? Why pull him off the field at that point? Why not just let him finish the game and then announce it the next day? Everyone had already been exposed to well, it. Well, okay. Right. My, my, so you're getting the sense that it was already known before the game that he had it because it was shifty how he got pulled in the eighth. And the next thing you know, when they won it, he's out there on the field, which is less than, what, 40 minutes later maybe at most? And then he's yeah. celebrating again. Well, I mean that uh, that's uh, to be determined. I mean, if in fact Major League Baseball uh, knew about the uh, positive test before first pitch, that's one thing. But this is a process that is so incredibly new and that is uh, being uh, perfected as we go along. And this is the first time that uh, it was the first uh, league where they actually did have uh, regular season games in their own uh, ballparks, Toronto, of course, uh, not uh, Toronto being the exception, playoffs uh, were in hubs. But I I think that uh, there is a lot that uh, not only Major League Baseball, but the NBA and the NHL uh, could learn from, especially with the Turner incident. And I think that there is uh, a a lot of concern if, uh, Mike, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you're... uh, insinuating that Major League Baseball knew before first pitch. No, that's not what I'm insinuating at all. What I'm insinuating is even if they get that test result in the sixth or seventh inning, it's too late at that point. But potentially, yeah, well, sure. They made the decision to let him play. He's already been out there exposing everybody to to it anyway. There's no, I, I don't know what the harm is in letting him stay out and finish out the game. Well, the harm is, is because it had been, rep- and let's say that there is uh, but nothing. But he'd already been exposing everybody to it for three or four hours, sure, or, or whatever. However, nobody knew that he had it. That's that's the, that's the difference. That doesn't, but that doesn't matter. Like the virus doesn't operate in that way. <laughs> like yes, they 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 knew, but he's not. In, it's not like he's going and infecting. It's not like he's going into the stands and infecting people, right? Like I mean. 
everybody who he was going to be around for the remainder of that game, he'd already exposed all of them to it anyway. Does that, like, well, yeah, that sure. Well, uh, well, of course it does. But I mean, and it just got even worse when they uh, found out that he had it. And then he's hugging everybody after they uh, had won. <laughs> so, I mean, let's say that okay, now I, I don't like to put in uh, what if scenarios, but if he didn't have it, if he didn't uh, wasn't declared in having it and the Dodgers won as they did, and then the next day they found out that he tested positive, I think that's a bit of a different situation. Having said that, I mean, what actually happened is what actually happened. So, right. you know, it's it's a it's a fantastic uh, thing uh, to, to talk about. Uh, uh, perhaps we should move on, because I have a feeling that we could talk uh, <laughs> for a, a severely long time about this. But things, if I could quickly ask, Yeah, of course, ask please, please. We haven't heard at this point if any of those Dodgers have tested positive for COVID-19, have we? Not that I know. As far as we know, none of them have. No, as far as we know, none of them have. And and then here's the second thing I want to ask quickly to both of you is that would the Dodgers win that game if they didn't play Justin Turner, knowing he had COVID, if that's what we think, that because it was kind of shady how he came out in the eighth and then he came back on the field later. But is that the Dodgers thinking going into the game? We don't win this game if we don't play Turner at third base. Well, you guys. I don't think that's their thinking at all. I think they thought they could have won that game, whether he played or not. They should have just opted for him to sit out then and keep everybody. Safe. Major League Baseball should have, if they had, an, if they didn't have a test result for him, they shouldn't have let him play. That's right. That, that, that's Major League Baseball. Like the umpires should have not allowed him to play. Yeah, that is a brutal one. Definitely, that should not have happened. Yeah, and, and look, uh, the guy fulfilled the dream, and it is uh, such a unique scenario to. Uh, to win a World Series, to uh, accomplish what you uh, stro- uh, strove for your entire life. But, of course, these days are completely unprecedented. And it, if uh, there is a more uh, to this story, if the Dodgers, in fact, knew uh, beforehand that Turner was, um, was uh, infected with COVID before uh, they actually uh, released the information, then uh, I definitely think that there's going to be some some people who are going to uh, pay uh, consequences for that. Uh, guys, uh, so uh, obviously the three of us know, uh, but to uh, share with the listener that uh, since the first time we got together uh, back in August, uh, we've gone uh, back and forth uh, with regards to our own personal chat on uh, Messenger there uh, with regards to a number of things, especially with baseball. And I am blown away at the knowledge that you two have <laughs> with regards to uh, baseball. You guys are just uh, really, really passionate about it. Of course, with other sports as well. But, uh, of course, uh, one of the big stories that came away from the World Series was the use of Blake Snell in that deciding game. He was pulled after five innings. And it just seems that, uh, and as we all know, that there is a different mindset in terms of executing a pitching staff uh, these days. Blake Snell hadn't pitched into the sixth inning um, the entire season. He hasn't, uh, if I remember correctly, I think there was one inning, one game where he did go six innings uh, over the past couple of seasons. However, people are focusing on game six. Uh, Neil, how justified is the criticism towards Kevin Cash, the manager, who was just raked over... Uh, with regards to uh, his use of Blake Snell, uh, 
it has been the way he's been used throughout the year. Well, I know that Twitter blew up when he was pulled in Game 6 because the Tampa Rays are cruising. And he had struck out Betts twice. I think he struck out Bellinger twice. And the reason and the theory behind him pulling Snell was that he didn't want to have Snell face those two batters a third time around because from what most analysts are saying, there's computer analysis behind that decision. So we saw the same thing with the Blue Jays in game one of their playoff series against the Tampa Rays. And we were all kind of wondering why Shoemaker was starting game one when they had Ryu. And then Shoemaker, of course, started that game, was pitching really well and got stronger as each inning went along. And he got pulled out for the third. And he wasn't happy about it. And I think the camera caught that in the dugout. So I think that there's, you know, at points in time, I mean, Having said all of that, when you come to Kevin Cash making the decision, I still think Kevin Cash is your American League Manager of the Year. But I think that that move did cost them the World Series. I think that if Blake Snell is doing what he was doing, pitching that well, I mean, that was probably his best postseason start to that point, or one of them. And if he's doing that, I'm riding him out as long as he can go because he's going to probably win that game. Like, I agree with Mike with, when we had that conversation in chat that at some point a one nothing lead is probably going to get overtaken by the Dodgers. And so that's kind of why I knocked Kevin Cash for putting a Rosarina number two pretty much all that time. I would have put him at the cleanup spot. And that's part of the traditional part. Like, I'm a Cito Gaston fan, and I would run a team just like Cito Gaston did. And I would have my fastest guy at the top of that lineup as my leadoff hitters who can steal bases and hit for average. And I would have my strongest hitters, my power hitters in the middle, three, four, and five. And I would have my pitchers go six, seven innings, whatever they can give me, quality starts. I'm not trying to get three pitchers in for three innings. And I know that Buck Martinez, the Blue Jays analyst who also went on to the World Series, and so he's a you know pretty high-level broadcaster. He commented on it, too, and he says that that's, you know, as, as much as a good strategy as it is, it's like, you can't make a mistake if you're going to do some of these things because once you make a mistake, one of those relievers out there starts getting shelled, which is what we saw after Blake Snell got pulled. I think, was it Nick Anderson came in and he gave up two runs right away? And, and I don't blame Nick Anderson for that because he wasn't, he wasn't able to really get into a group. And so I think that's kind of what happens is when you get away from the traditional parts of the game, that that kind of happens at times. Now, having said all that, at the same time, Kevin Cash makes it work. He has put these philosophies in play and... They got to the World Series. So it depends. And I think that you have to look at the roster that you work with, too. So it's a, it's a specific situation to the manager and the roster that he has to play with. But I know that those are newer philosophies that people are using as we go into the future. And Mike had said that, you know, it's because a lot of the younger generation are starting to kind of lose interest in the game. And, and so they're kind of be a bit more creative with it. And I think that we see that with the rule changes, of course. And so a lot of changes happening with baseball. I mean, from the rules to the way that the managers run in the game. So as we know that when we get the extra inning, you've got a runner on second base, so that's the universal rule. And I know that from playing softball. And <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> that's why I don't like that rule. But in my opinion, that gives an advantage to the road team right away. Now, I know that it helps get the games, you know, over with sooner because you don't go into the 18th inning more so with a runner on second. Both teams get that on second base when they get to their uh, half of the inning. But usually it's a disadvantage for the home team because if that road team scoring that first run, then the home team has to score an extra run. So if it's, you know, say if it's 3-3 three, three and 
the Rays score that run, they're the road team, it's 4-3, then say the Jays are up next, they've got to score two more runs. So it's just, that's one thing. I'm okay with the doubleheaders being at seven innings apiece. I'm cool with that. And I think that it's good that they've been doing a lot of things. Like we've seen some changes that they've made that have really kind of been implemented in the game quite well, and that's the video replay. And I know the rules at the plate have worked out quite well. And, you know, a couple other rules that hurt managers at times, I think we saw in the playoffs too, is when, you know, the rule with having to use a pitcher for three batters. So back in the day, you would see a lot of managers go lefty on lefty, righty on righty. A lot of times they weren't able to do that, and there were a lot of times where those mismatches did, you know, work the other way. So it depends. I, I don't see it working right now, in my opinion. But like I say, having said that, Kevin Cash managed to get the Tampa race to the World Series on a lot of that philosophy. Well, and we'll definitely, uh, I do want to uh, uh, talk about uh, how baseball overall has uh, changed over the past few years. Uh, getting back to pitching, and Mike, I wanted to talk to you about this, because uh, obviously with the number of pitchers that are uh, used uh, these days, uh, this pitching uh, philosophy that uh, managers have uh, developed, I, I don't see it being sustainable. I, I guess it did work for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, off the top of my head, you had uh, Kelvin Herrera, uh, you had Wade Davis, you had Greg Holland, uh, you had the three relievers there, and it worked. Hey, they went to a World Series. They won a second uh, World. Uh, they sorry, they went to a World Series. They won the next World Series, and uh, I mean now they're in the tank. But I, I, I guess what I am more so interested in is that do you see this being the norm for an extended period of time? I personally don't. If you have to rely on so many different bodies in your pitching rotation, how does a team, especially like Tampa, is able to afford that? Because, you know, you're just... I mean, nobody wants to be the sixth inning uh, hold guy or seventh inning hold guy. Uh, They want to either be a starter or a closer, don't they? Well, I mean, not... Not everyone's going to be a starter or a closer. I mean, those, those days are gone, um, and and I I do think they're gone for good. Uh, I think you're going to see. I actually think you're going to see more of it. Now, I do think that some of the new rules that have been brought in, the three batter rule, eliminates a little bit of that sort of lefty specialist come in, get the one out, and then get out. Uh, you know facing a left-hand batter. Listen, it's a nine-inning game. The staffs are the same size. Like, the same number of innings are being doled out. You're just – what you're what they're doing is instead of loading up the starters' innings, they're loading more innings onto the bullpens, which in terms of health may actually be better for everyone. I, I, I mean, I just I don't because it, it, you're not you're not exhausting arms. I mean, it's and it's not like listen. I'm a guy. I grew up. I grew up in the '80s and the '90s. I love the dudes that would throw a complete game shutout. But that's just not like we've seen the number of complete games in Major League Baseball just dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. It's a bullpens bullpens are better. Like bullpens are better, but okay. You, you, you have like, it, there used to be a time where you'd go, Oh, 
let's just get into their bull. Hopefully we can get into their bullpen early by the fifth or sixth inning. No one says that anymore because the guy coming out of the bullpen is a 100-mile-an-hour flamethrower who will throw 20 pitches and he'll mow you down. And then the next guy that comes in will come in and he'll throw 20 wicked breaking balls and get, you know, retired the side on strikeouts. Like, it's just the game, the game changes. It's not, it's not the way that it used to be. And yeah, sure. And, uh, but I guess the, the question that I have is, is that, okay, look, now I guess as a, an impressionable kid, uh, as you said, uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s, like I did and like Neil did, that uh, we remember uh, the starting pitcher, Dave Steve, and so on, going seven plus innings, uh, Nolan Ryan. Uh, being uh, being fantastic and uh, having a career into his 40s, but now Jack we're Morris. Jack Morris pitching Jack the 10 in, 10 inning, 10 inning, inning game in Game Seven of the in 91 seven. series. Yep, and that that's the best World Series of all time. And just for to finish that way, I mean, um, not to jump in on your point, but I just want to say quickly, like to add to Mike's point, is like when we talk about a guy like that, there's probably only 15 pitchers in the major leagues that can probably go the distance, six or seven innings every time out. And, and the question the is. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Neil. Please go ahead. Go no, ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, just to quickly, uh, just kind of cap this in a nutshell, is that Mike's right. The game is changing, and pitchers are starting to pitch a little less because they're using their arms to their strength by kind of reducing their roles. But there are probably only 15 guys in the majors who are starting pitchers that can go the distance and will be horses. And those are guys like Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer and Ryu for the Jays and. Yeah, Clevenger for now San Diego and got Bieber in Cleveland. So there's just a handful of guys. So I, I agree with Mike saying that it, it is changing that way. But I think there will be those pitchers, and it'll probably only be at a limit of 15 to maybe 20 that can do that. Well, and I, and I guess and I guess the question is why? Because off the top of my head, I'm thinking of uh, now. Yeah, sure, we have flamethrowers uh, as you guys mentioned, but uh, pitchers in the 90s. They didn't blow out their arms. They didn't uh, have. I, you think about Roberto Osuna, who had uh, arm surgery uh, when he was 20 years old, and uh, w- whether it was reported or not back in those days, I'm assuming it would have, because to uh, miss an entire season, uh, you know, as baseball fans, we would have uh, we would have seen that. I'm just figuring out wh- why uh, why uh, kids are blowing out their arms these days. Especially well, with, I'll, sorry. I can tell you why. I can tell Go you for why. Because they're putting radar guns on 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. The, the, the emphasis on velocity when it comes to pitchers is ridiculous. And they're asking kids, and it's not just velocity, they're asking kids to throw curveballs and breaking balls that for a young developing arm is foolish because it puts unnecessary stress on growing ligaments and tendons in the, in the arm, the shoulder, and the elbow, that, that that shouldn't be. But I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why you're not seeing guys go the length that they used to. And it's sports science. And it's not just in baseball. It's in all sports. You look at the, the, the injuries that guys get now in sports that will keep them out long term. You didn't hear about a lot of those injuries back 
I like football, for example. Guys would get concussed back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. They'd get a concussion, give him some smelling salts, get him back out there. Or he got his bell rung in hockey. How many times did you hear that as a kid growing up? And you send him back out there. Well, now, as, as the science improves, and as we study more of these things, we're going, wait a minute. Some of these things have some really debilitating effects on these guys as they move into their post-playing day career or post-playing day lives. And the amount of money that is involved with players now, owners and the players, the player agents, if there's even the slightest twinge of a potential injury, Oh, I felt some tightness in my hamstring. We've got to take him out and sit him down for a week as a precaution because we don't want to risk possibly a, a more catastrophic injury that could keep that player out even more long-term. Like, teams, players, agents, they're just more hyper-focused on the, ha- on the health of the player that we may be diagnosing injuries that were that guys used to play through i guess we'll put it that way but i guess sorry i I guess the difference that uh as you said that is is that there was no knowledge or science or uh, realization of how serious concussions are and it just seems to me that coaching in baseball especially with pitching the coaches are saying that gas and fastballs are the only way to get pitchers out or batters out so because everybody's trying to hit home runs Right. So, I mean, when uh, when I was uh, going through Little League, uh, we all knew that we weren't a- allowed, we were not allowed to throw a curveball until, we until we were 16. The umpire sees a rotation as per a curveball, and you are ejected from the game as a pi- uh, the pitcher. So, uh, you know, this is, so now this is the early 90s. So where are we now in 2020? And uh, the five years beforehand, where we're telling all these kids that uh, to uh, to uh, destroy your uh, your arm, and I mean, it just seems that baseball has taken a huge step back in terms Dude, of it's the parents. It's the parents. The parents see a little Johnny as a twenty-five million dollar arm, and like. We got there are fifteen and sixteen year old kids who are undergoing Tommy John surgery who don't need it. They're not injured, but their parents think it's gonna it's gonna improve their velocity or improve their arm strength. And the way that medical, the way that medicine is in the United States, it's a business, and doctors aren't necessarily doing what's best for the patient they're doing dad comes and he wants his kid to to uptick five miles an hour on his fastball thinks that Tommy John surgery is the way to do it work over $25,000 I'll do the surgery for you it's really whacked out like sports parents are I mean they've always been bad but it's, it's nuts now what people are doing what they're putting their kids through in terms of training and practice all the time it used to be that we would just go out and we would play we would go out you'd go out you place you know baseball in the summer and 
you know, street hockey or whatever, football. You go play with your friends. They don't do that now. It's training all the time. Uh, my kids played rep baseball. They, they practice all winter. That never used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well. Sorry. I, yeah, say, Neil, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, there are those parents that are doing that. You're absolutely right. And then there are some of those. I mean, like I was saying, you know, there's just a small number of these pitchers that can go the distance and have those firearms that can last long enough. And so, you know, when you do get to that point, like Mike said, those guys are worth $25 million a year. Like Trevor Bauer this year is going to probably be making $25 million. He's all about signing one-year contracts, but I'm sure if somebody gives him a three-year $75 million deal, he's going to take it. But that's what happens. You get to that level as a pitcher, and you're making that kind of money. And that is what we'll see. We'll start to see a lot of these pitchers not making that kind of money. So there might be an uproar. You never know. They might have these pitchers that don't like it. And I know that Blake Snell definitely didn't like it, whether he said that Kevin Cash is usually right when he makes those decisions, even though he felt he could have kept going. So we'll see yeah, how think, it turns out. I, I'm, I'm always hesitant when I hear a player tell me, I can stay out there, I can stay out there. Sometimes a job of a manager is to, to know the limitations of his players because he, very few players at that level will say, yeah, I want to come out of a game. They, they, they will want to stay out there and I agree. play until their arm falls off or they can't run anymore or whatever. Like, that's just... Yeah. I just want to say, you come down to that game, though. Like, let's just take it back to what Randy was talking about. Game six, if I don't think they lose that game... I, I know they only had one run. It was a one nothing lead, but I just feel that when he took Snell out, he gave the momentum to the Dodgers because the Dodgers couldn't figure him out, right? And yeah. I just so that was a crucial decision. That one definitely hurt them. I saw Game Seven the whole way through until he pulled Snell out, and he only had seventy three pitches. And what else did you have there, Randy, in terms of the stats? Well, uh, yeah, he well he hadn't uh, he hadn't pitched into the sixth inning at all, all at all this season, and only uh, once I believe last season. Right. Well, that would have been the game that I think, in my opinion, he should have gone the distance because you're trying to get to game seven. So, and that's what well, you put him on a short it. leash. Put him on right. a short leash. He starts Tampa's giving up a couple, been, give up a couple of hits, and then you make the move. Sure, but the Tampa's yeah, been I mean, miracles all year long. So you know that's what I would roll with. I would go, okay, we've got the momentum here. He's doing this. Let's just see how long he can ride out. And you know, like I said, he had struck out bets twice and Bellinger twice. Those are two dangerous guys. Bellinger won the MVP. And but I think Betts should have won it because he made those three catches that saved those games. So if you know what yeah. I'm talking, if you guys remember, so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I I think that uh, in the end it, it would have been really interesting to see where analytics was. Uh, Joe Madden, of course, uh, had a different type of uh, style when it comes to baseball. And uh, if you guys remember what Game Seven of the World Series like uh, between the Cubs and the Indians, uh, he rolled out rolled his Chapman and. Basically, uh, the pitching staff was had no arms left, and the Cubs, of course, did win the World Series. But I remember how much of a gong show Game Seven was when their starting pitcher, I think it was Hendricks, just went four uh, four innings. I I think he only gave up one run, pulled him. They included John Lester and uh, Roldis Chapman uh, pitched an absurd amount of innings. Uh, especially during the last uh, few games of that series. So we'll see uh, where uh, baseball takes uh, pitching and everything else that uh, goes with this uh, new type of baseball. Uh, 
in the uh, coming seasons. Very quickly, guys, wanted to talk about hockey. And, of course, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning won their second Stanley Cup. Uh, it was the first time for Steven Stamkos. And other than a couple of minutes, uh, Stamkos didn't play at all uh, during uh, the experience in the hub. As mentioned, he did play in Game 3, but it was only a couple of minutes. He did score a goal. I did want to ask about Stamkos and his legacy. You think about certain athletes, elite athletes, who never made it to the championship, uh, spe specific to hockey, when uh, Ovechkin uh, went all those years without winning a cup, and he finally did. It really cemented his legacy. Uh, Neil, uh, to you first, what do you think... Uh, the NHL, where do you think Steven Stamkos uh, is in terms of elite level athletes, in terms of a championship? He does have a ring, but he wasn't really there for it. Well, I think he deserves that ring. I mean, not based on that series itself, but in his career overall, he's always been an impact player. And to tell you the honest truth, I was actually surprised when I looked back to find out how many cups Tampa had won. I, I felt like they should have won more by now. They've always been a successful team. So I was kind of surprised it was only their second cup and only won the other one back in 2003. But they've always been a competitive team. And, you know, they've always been like a big dog in the East. So, you know, Sam Coast, yeah, he did get his one goal. I mean, that's almost like, I guess I could liken that to like what happened with Dave Steen when the Jays won their first World Series. He didn't really participate at all or he actually did it. He was on the bench the whole entire time. But that was a player who had paid his dues at the Jays. He obviously was a premier pitcher through the 80s and into the 90s. He had a no-hitter, put it in the perfect game several times, and he did so much for the Jays. But when they got to the main stage, he wasn't able to really participate. At least Stamkos was, and he did score a goal. And he is a leader on that team, despite how productive he was or not. But, I mean, it was a different NHL when we got to the bubble. It worked very well. They did a good job. So, you know... I don't know exactly what the deal was with Stamkos. I actually was looking that up, because I'm going to be honest with you, I did not watch any hockey until it got to the Cup, and it was because the NBA was still going on, and we had Major League Baseball take place, and I was more interested in those, and I was kind of flipping the channel back and forth. So I did do the research on that, and, and I was kind of surprised. And I wasn't sure I wasn't sure how much of a factor he was. So what was it that held him back? Why did he play? He so had well? a uh, he had an abdominal. Uh, I can never say this word correctly. He had a core uh, an abdominal abdominable. I can't. He had an injury on the left side of his. Yes, I, I, I right? for whatever it's one of those words I can't pronounce. But <laughs> no I, he 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 was out since uh, February, and of course the league uh, shut down in the middle of March. So he had missed a significant amount of time. Uh, before uh, the league stopped because of COVID. And uh, like I said, it was the only game, uh, game three of the final was the only game that he played. And uh, that two minutes, uh, the, the shift that he actually scored a goal, he and uh, especially when he lifted the cup, uh, I mean, maybe it was an adrenaline or something, but uh, he, um, he he looked uh, he looked terrific. Uh, uh, Mike, uh, very quickly, uh, you know, uh, especially when it came, comes to... Uh, the elite stars of today. You think of Crosby and Ovechkin, uh, you know, maybe to the degree of Kobe and LeBron back in uh, the NBA days, especially uh, five, ten years ago. Do you think Steven Stamkos could be the top two marquee players for the league? If he isn't, it, well, no, I, I guess in terms of the it, uh, it guys, the it two guys, uh, one and one A, uh, you know, be it Kobe and LeBron. Uh, be it uh, Gretzky and Lemieux, um, uh, Messi and Ronaldo. 
do, do you think that Stamkos, uh, whether it be uh, McDavid or somebody else, do you think that uh, he's young enough where he could be the it guy for the NHL? If he isn't already? I don't, I don't know that the NHL has it guys. Not like Certainly not like basketball. True. Probably not like football either. Like it's Crosby, like like even you know, Crosby, Crosby. Like I mean, what, yeah, what, 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 like I mean, he he's he's great on the ice, and his stats are great and all that. But I, like, I don't find Sidney Crosby remote. And when you say it guy, I'm thinking about guys that you market around. Like, I'm I'm thinking about guys like. LeBron James, like Steph Curry, like Kevin Durant, like Mookie Betts, like stars in in their given leagues, Ronaldo and Messi, guys that kind of transcend the sport a little bit. I don't see any hockey player like that. I, I find hockey players, in terms of personality, pretty bland. For the most part, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what it is. I mean, I think I don't know whether it's I know that kids when it comes to basketball, some of them are fans of teams, but a lot more are fans of players. And once a player moves from one team to another, they become a fan of that other team because that's where that player is. And I don't think that's the case in, in hockey. Um, to be honest, I haven't followed hockey in probably about five years because I, I, I just don't find the game entertains me anymore. And there are, there's just, I don't, you and I both, the per, it's, I, the, there's no personality there. I just, I find it really blocked. I, I, the, the, the notion of the good old Canadian boys, and this goes back to the Don Cherry argument. Like Don Cherry, for me, see ya. Like I, I mean, what he did that got him fired. What he said was un, the, the uh, there was a racist undertone there. Yeah, yeah, and sure. that was a violation of a code of conduct, and he got what he deserved. I have no problem with Don Cherry getting fired but the reality is beyond that Don, the, the Don Cherries and they're those guys that those old tiny hockey guys right that's done that's that's right that's not where we are anymore well and I I just don't like for me I, like and I'll, I'll be quite honest I, I'm I'm a I, I'm a football fan I'm I'm a fan of basically all sports. I'm not, I'm not a hockey fan, and my kids are not hockey fans either. My kids couldn't pick Sidney Crosby out of a lineup if you asked them to without knowing, because they just don't. I I I don't know whether I don't know whether hockey has the same cachet in this country that it once did. I think I think basketball, baseball, soccer. NFL football, not so much the CFL maybe anymore, but I think some of those other sports are becoming more into the forefront. 
well, tennis. I'm not a tennis fan, but we've got uh, Bianca Andreescu, we've got Milos Raonic, we've got Pospisil, we've got we've got some top Canadian players. Shapovalov and uh, OJ Aliassime. Sure. Yeah, sure. You know, women's golf. You've got um, Brooke Henderson. I think some of these other sports are coming to the forefront, maybe a little bit more. Now in Canada, hockey's still probably number one, but I don't think it has the same hold over this country that it once did. And I think TV ratings probably bear that out. Well, and uh, I, I do want to talk about basketball uh, very quickly, but uh, you know, uh, this uh, you bring up some good points here. But uh, Neil, uh, the reality is is that uh, we are in a community where uh, hockey is number one in Canada. And as uh, Mike uh, brought up some valid points, uh, now I know that Mike is also a Senators fan as well, and uh, you know, with uh, Ottawa, uh, for the most part, not doing too well over the past few, uh, few years, uh, of course they did have that one run but uh, a couple years ago, uh, but in the community that we are in Toronto, it has been over 15 years since the Leafs won a playoff round. And I can only imagine what the uh, buzz would be like uh, if they were to go to the second round. Now, sure, uh, Toronto is uh, still uh, hung over from the Raptors championship as well as Toronto FC. But and I definitely agree with uh, how hard it is to follow hockey because it's just all about the game. There is no personality. I get it. I, you're, pre, uh, you're preaching to the choir when you're saying uh, athletes need to have personality. But, Neil, do you, think, uh, do you think that there is something about the NHL needing to change its uh, philosophy in terms of how they present their players? Well, I agree with Mike. I've lost a lot of interest in it myself. And I think one of the reasons, I'll tell you why, some of the reasons, because way back when they decided to change their you know, standings, and they added the wild cards. That's when I just totally lost. Like, I have no idea how that works, how they <laughs> determine the playoffs, you know. Like, that, kind of, that was one thing that lost me. And then when CBC, you know, I know they do some of the games on there still, but they kind of lost the rights and went to Rogers and the tradition. That's when Hockey Night in Canada tradition changed for me. Mike and I spoke about this before, and I think we both agreed that they started changing the Leafs and the Habs from Saturday nights to Fridays and Sundays. And everybody knows in Toronto, Montreal, Saturday night, you're watching the Leafs or the Habs. And that, you know, when you change those kinds of things, it's going to take away from the game. So that's what happened to me as a fan. And I just think that, you know, he's right. Mike's also right that there's no, like, I don't know if you can have, like, that faith of the league player anymore. I think those guys are in Edmonton, <laughs> Drazadald, and... Um, Dryside old McDavid. Was, yeah. yeah, he was the MVP and McDavid, the former MVP, and those guys are in Edmonton. But if those guys are probably playing on other teams, they might be able to garner that. I think Sidney Crosby, when we touched on that, I agree with that too. I think he kind of came in around the same time as LeBron James was coming in, and we all had that Gretzky expectation. And, I mean, I think if he was going to have that Gretzky expectation, he should probably have won more than three cups. That's a huge thing for me to say because three cups is pretty good. But, I mean, he's kind of, you know, been uh, – he hasn't been average, but he, I don't know like if he's in the same class as Lemieux and Gretzky. I don't know if he's in that same group, but he might be in the next group over. But you know, I just think that the, the stardom since that era has kind of kind of tail off, 
And so, yeah, I've lost a lot of interest in hockey myself, but, I mean, I still love the sport in itself. And I have to respectfully disagree with you that hockey's number one in Canada. It might be when it comes to, you know, what we love and being part of our heritage. But I think basketball definitely took everybody right across this country. I know that there are record numbers of the Raptors playoff game in terms of views. And I think that, you know, we were talking about all these other athletes. You mentioned all those tennis players that are coming out of Canada. Well, I think the biggest stage for all these players developing in a sport is the NBA. Basketball. Look at all the Canadian talent that's coming out out of college. Yeah. Like they're getting U.S. scholarships, and there's okay. We yeah. can just go on for days, but I, I mean, you've got Jamal Murray, you've got Tristan Thompson, you've got all kinds of great Canadian players, and you know Wiggins and so on and so forth. And I expect that the Canadian men's basketball team should be able to win an Olympic medal if they're able to get some of this talent on the floor. So I think that that's one thing is that, yeah, hockey's part of our heritage and it's number one that way, but we have to expand our horizons. And if we have a lot of great talent coming into tennis and into basketball or baseball or what have you, whatever sport, like let's try to, you know, not just have our eggs in one basket. And so uh, two different things, of course, we're talking about the popularity of hockey and then how it is here in Canada. So I think that that we've seen that. I think that with, you know, close to 3 million people down in downtown Toronto, which is 8% of the Canadian population, <laughs> celebrating. And that's that's a huge turn of events. And I think a lot of people were looking at the Raptors uh, more so than some of the hockey teams. And, you know, I mean, because there was the... They had a halt in play, of course, between the time that the pandemic struck and then the bubble was organized. But again, like I mentioned, the one thing about the NHL and a lot of people have been saying is that they did do a good job of their bubble as well. And so the NHL is doing some things right, but I think they took away from their tradition a lot with just changing the divisions, constantly adding wild cards. And, you know, I just I just think that I know they sped up the game a lot too with the rule changes, but I just, I don't know. There's just not that, there's no like excitement there. Like there's just no like, you don't see a lot of hockey players <clears throat> getting deals with Gatorade and Nike and you know what I mean? They're not, there's not a lot of that. And Mike's right about that. So, like I said, I think those two guys <laughs> that are playing in Edmonton, uh, Drazenold and McDavid, those two guys are probably the two best. And if they're playing on different teams, like say a New York team or maybe an LA team, maybe. But you know, because like Lemieux was able to do that in Pittsburgh. And, well, Gretzky you know, was able to do I it in Edmonton. All uh, Gretzky was able to do that in Edmonton as well. I mean, obviously yeah, Gretzky I'm just is talking like about United States, and in terms of this, like because uh, like look. Gretzky did that, but I, I think we saw that as Canadians. I think that's why Gretzky got traded to the LA Kings, so that we could sell the game to the United States. Well, after he got to the Kings, we had so many expansion teams come in from the States. We had well, yeah, Tampa sure. Bay, that, we had Florida, yep. we had Dallas ended up getting Minnesota's team. That wasn't an expansion, but then Colorado got Quebec's team. And the shame on that one was the Quebec Nordiques were in line to win it, and then they moved to Colorado that first season. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Quebec so, was not going to win the Stanley Cup because yeah, there is no chance Patrick Waugh was going to be traded from Montreal to Quebec. They were good, but they were not that oh, Come on. I'm sure, you know what, I, I won't speak for Waugh, but he was pissed off enough at the Habs to maybe go to the Quebec just to even upset them more. But oh, no chance. Trade, this, will, this will take another podcast another Yes, time, it will, yes. Trade, listen, Mike will agree with me on this. I know he will. The Lindros trade made that entire roster. They had that Avalanche team benefited from that Lindros trade for almost a decade. They won several cups, and I know Patrick Waugh was a big part of that. That's why I say Patrick Waugh is actually probably the best goalie of all time. He's the only <laughs> goalie to win two two cups with two different teams. No other goalie's done that. So, 
So we were talking about yeah, we were talking about Steven Stamkos and uh, his legacy, and then uh, we brought up to uh, the Eric Lindros trade. It's awesome. <laughs> um, look, I I I gotta like I gotta the hockey the hockey versus ba- basketball is growing here, but as a television yeah. property, it pales in comparison to the NHL. Still. Yeah, for sure, it does. I for mean, sure, yes. The, I mean, the the, the the Raptors ratings during the playoffs were phenomenal. But so too were TFCs. So too were the Blue Jays. But when you get into the regular season, they go back to the three hundred thousand. You know, watching a regular season game, it, it's people like to follow the story and 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 a winner. I mean, I, I'll. I mean, I know some people. I don't know what the, the official number was downtown for the Raptors. I, I think the estimate that people made of several million is probably overinflated. Two point seven. Two, yeah, two and that, a half. Two yeah, percent. it wasn't that. It wasn't that. Um, if um, that's the Leafs, if that's the Leafs, oh, it's over. Shutting, the, the, the oh my god, for sure, hundred percent. And also, how much do we? How much do we think it was on that day at the spring? Because I'm right downtown. Sorry, the, well, anywhere. the the parade. <laughs> I was I was at the parade. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so I, th- yeah, over two million people in terms of when the uh, mm. when the uh, the the team actually least, won, uh, yeah, like it was, was at least two and a half. I would say two I and a half. I I, oh, yeah. I don't I don't I can't see it being more than a million. If you oh, were I don't know, man. Uh, I, I was down. I was I was downtown that day. It, it so wasn't. I was like, here. I was here at Spadina in front, where I live at City Place, and I knew they were making their way from the Princess Gates, and so I was going to walk down the end of Spadina Lake. Or I couldn't do it, and I wanted to go over to. No, no, I understand. Gates. I understand. I understand. And there was no way. There was like no way. There's never been that many people down in Toronto, not in our lifetime. I, I would. Agree. I would. I agree with that. I agree with yeah. that. But listen, I like listen. I was in Times Square. For New Year's ninety nine to two thousand, they estimated one million. Oh my god! One million down there. Okay. And it was it was that crowd went for about thirty city blocks, and it was full. Like there was no room to move. Period. You could not. You could not move from where you were. I got up on the barriers and I looked back and I couldn't see. The end of it, and that was that was. They said that was maybe a million. There's no way they had three million. That three million. You're talking about the entire city of Toronto. The entire city of Toronto wasn't there. It is the population. That's because the mayor told everybody that employs someone to let them have half the day off so they can go celebrate the Raptors. <laughs> so right, but not every people were on the street. Not that. Not not everyone in Toronto went to that. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, well, whether it's 2.7 million uh, at the parade, uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that it was over. I think it was definitely over two. And, uh, you know, uh, to Neil's, uh, to, to Neil's uh, point of basketball is uh, taking over and that, uh, that uh, hockey is, uh, to, uh, is uh, taking a step back. But I think when it comes to game 46 and Winnipeg is playing uh, – Arizona and the Raptors are playing the Hornets, and if you're living in the city of Winnipeg, you're going to be going to watch the Jets game. Yes, so sir. you know, and, I- and 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 further to that, like I have family that live out in Western Canada. They tuned into some of the Raptors games in the in the playoffs because they got swept up in that. But then 
doesn't watch any regular season games. None. It doesn't matter whether the Jets play, are playing or not. They're just not. Like, we have to be, I think we have to be careful when we make, because I did this after TFC won MLS Cup in 2017, that it was going to be this great moment for Canadian soccer. And it was for, from a Toronto perspective. But dude in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, might have watched that game if he had any interest in soccer. But realistically, he's not. Like, we have to be careful that we're not coming at things from too Toronto-centric. Uh, I realize that we are the biggest city in, in the country, but I think we have to be careful that we don't make generalizations about Canada when really what we're talking about is Toronto. And if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, 100%. And, Mike, I so wanted to talk to you about uh, you bring up uh, Saskatchewan and soccer and so on. I so want to bring it to you. But I know that uh, both of you have to get going. I do want to ask, uh, since we are talking about basketball, need to talk about Terrence Davis. Uh, he was uh, uh, a rookie who uh, captured the hearts of Raptors fans. Uh, a lot of people were starting to gravitate to him. And uh, in October, he was uh, charged with a domestic situation uh, within, uh, involving his girlfriend. Uh, Neil, uh, what should the Raptors do? I mean, can they even consider having Davis on the roster as this uh, plays out and unfolds? Well, that's all it is right now. It's just a legal issue. Like, he hasn't been convicted of the charge. So I don't know how they're going to handle it. We already know what happened with the Toronto Blue Jays with Roberto Osuna. He had the same situation take place, and eventually he just got held off the roster until they were able to trade him to the Houston Astros. So, I don't know, maybe something like that happens here. I'm not really sure what to say about it because as you had you know, informed us earlier that they have not had any comment from Terrence Davis. So, uh, I don't know what the allegations – I mean, I know that the allegation alludes to him hitting his girlfriend and breaking her phone, but, I mean, I haven't heard of them in detail. And we probably won't hear about that anytime soon. But, I mean, I don't know. He's a player on the roster, and I would play him until – you know, we know something else, but that's probably not the way that it would work. So, yeah, I, I, I think. Uh, sorry to cut you off there, and I, yeah, I think. That's about okay. It, I was done. For, <laughs> particularly, particularly, you know, the, a situation that I, I'm maybe a little bit more familiar with um, that has played out is that of Kareem Hunt. Um, mm-hmm. Kareem Hunt yep. had that incident that was caught on video in. A Cleveland hotel, <laughs> uh, of all places, while he was with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs had to move on from him. They had to. They had to make a statement that that wasn't okay. I was, I was disappointed when John Dorsey and the Browns signed Hunt. But upon thinking about it, Aside from what he does on the field, I believe in second chances. Like, if if a player does something that is criminal and they are charged and convicted and pay their penalty to society, whether it's through probation, through fine, through jail time, through whatever... I think it's incumbent on people to offer 
to, to try and give someone a chance. You can't go back and change the past. But I think, I think some good can come out of those situations if you, if you offer someone a second chance. I'm not sure First, that Terrence Davis will get a second chance with the Raptors. I'm not sure, and I'm not sure whether they should. The same Mike thing with that, Osuna. Sorry, I'm not sure that that should be a career-ending thing. I, I I don't know. In that first Ed. incident that you described, though, Mike, wasn't that football player, wasn't there a video of that in the elevator where he was beating up yes. his girlfriend? That, okay, so that's, okay, that's right, a we, unique situation. Wait, that alone, isn't that Ray Rice? Video evidence, that, yeah, right? that was Ray Rice that you were talking that's about. That's right. So that video Three evidence was, him it was up his similar. Right, yeah. I saw that video, and that was brutal. So that's obviously, if they have that video evidence, I totally agree with everything the team had to do. Like, I, you can't, what are you going to do about that? That's, yeah. you know, well, Yeah, and, video, I, and, so. I, and I guess I guess uh, the difference is, uh, is that uh, Ray Rice versus Kareem Hunt versus uh, Roberto Osuna. I mean, Ray Rice, uh, you know, I, I guess that in terms brutal. of, well, it, it, was, uh, it certainly yeah, was, was, but we don't know. We don't know to what degree uh, Terrence Davis had uh, to uh, the uh, situation with his girlfriend. We don't know if it is uh, significantly worse. We don't even know if it even happened. So uh, that'll come out in court, right? Sure, absolutely. But I think the problem that I do have is that when you have someone like Roberto Osuna, who's playing with a team, albeit the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, is uh, forced to be traded. Uh, because whether it's the court of public opinion or or otherwise, you trade him to the team where he eventually wins the World Series. So he commits uh, he commits something heinous, and uh, that helped his professional career. Well, to put that in perspective, he was probably the best closer in Major League Baseball at the time. But I, I guess okay, so sure, was, sure. You but know. you know, now if I, I guess uh, if it is possible, are leagues able to? Suspend a guy if uh, the team that uh, he uh, was uh, originally on says we can't have him. Well, there's a code of conduct. Yeah, there is. And you have to abide by that as a player. And so that's kind of when we look at the situation with Roberto Osuna and the Blue Jays, they have to follow that code of conduct. And so that's what they have to do. And in the end, I guess, I don't know if you say it worked out, but it was the right move because you cannot, you cannot embrace that situation if it's something that's going to affect your clubhouse or the organization and the image and that's kind of what might be happening here with Terrence Davis so we have yet to see that see I thought and I, I thought because the Chiefs well Ray Rice the Ravens didn't even drop him but like he was suspended by the NFL but the Ravens stuck with him the Chiefs released Hunt they didn't. They made the. They made the statement of, "We'll let this guy go. We'll get nothing for him, because we don't like. We don't condone this." The Jays took a. I don't want. They're willing to, to do without they, the best. I don't want to say a cowardly yeah. route, but they, rather than making the statement of going, "You're out, and we're 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 releasing you, and we'll sacrifice that on the principle." Of what you did is wrong, and we'll pay a price for that. They were like, we'll trade you. They traded him. So they got rid of the problem, but they still got something in return, right? 
Like the yeah. fact that, you know, the fact that he ended up on a World Series champion, if they had, if the Jays had released him, maybe Houston signs him, maybe they don't. But that's neither here nor there. But the Jays yeah, like, and made I think, it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that that puts it in perspective, though. Like an organization like the Blue Jays said, we're willing to do with the top five closer or the best closer in the game because of this incident because we have a code of conduct for our players fall that he didn't do that. So we have to obviously go by what we have already put in stone. This is how we're going to run this organization. So they're willing to do that. And then you've alluded to some of these NFL teams that didn't do that because they felt that these players are too valuable. And so did they get anything in return for that? You said Ken Giles. Ken Giles. Oh, no, I'm not for Ken Giles. In the NFL, sorry. The, you said that they were willing to. Oh, the Chiefs, second. no, they got nothing. Yeah, no, they the, got nothing. The, the, the Browns signed him as a free agent. Right, so that speaks volumes at the Cleveland Browns, and not to diss you because I know you're a fan. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. But, yeah, I went, I went but, through this. But, I went through this whole thing. Well, Antonio yeah. Brown, look at him. I mean, he's uh, he's got a really checkered uh, personal uh, history, and he's uh, got another chance with Tampa, doesn't he? He could be released like though. If it, yeah, he's he's there right now, but it's possible that they might get, release him. I'm hearing, but we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Uh, he was catching the ball yesterday from Tom Brady in <laughs> Tampa, that's for sure. So, <laughs> uh, finally, guys, and I, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, we uh, did go uh, uh, long, uh, as, uh, and I really do appreciate it. Very quickly, uh, the NBA has decided to uh, uh, start their season again uh, uh, just before Christmas, uh, just uh, under three months after. Uh, the Lakers won the championship on the uh, 11th of October. To put into context, it was 10 and a half weeks where uh, the Lakers, uh, from the Lakers winning the championship to the potential opening night for uh, December 22nd. Last year, when the uh, Raptors won the championship, it was just over four months, the uh, span from the uh, the uh, the final game of that NBA season to opening night the uh, the following year. How surprised are you, uh, Neil? Uh, how surprised are you that they are in fact going to start just before Christmas? I realize Christmas is such a huge marquee uh, a day for the NBA, but uh, do you think that this is all putting a lot of stress on uh, on players in the NBA? Firstly, I'm not surprised because I think they were alluding to the fact that they were targeting a Christmas Day date and then the players spoke out and said, do you think that's too soon? And then they talked about doing it on Martin Luther King Day, which is, I think, January 18th. And so, because usually the NBA has a you know, big scheduled day on that MLK Day as well. So they decided to do it on the Christmas Day schedule so that they can, or on the 22nd of December, rather, so that they can stick to a 72-game season and then get the league back on track as to what it normally is October to June every year. So yeah, I agree with it. I think that it's okay. I mean, if other players, I know that there's some outcry and some of the top players are saying, I know LeBron said that he was going to milk it or cherry pick and let AD do all the work. And so he's going to cherry pick for half the season. And that's something, by the way, Michael Jordan would never do or say. And <laughs> but there are, there are players that are already planning their load management. And, and if that's the case, so be it. Like, you know, I'm rather, I would rather see the NBA get back on track because, you know, as you know, we heard today that there's a vaccine that's supposed to be 90% effective. So things are starting to change and look up. I know the NBA wants to get, you know, fans into the seats 
and maybe it's at half capacity I'm hearing right now. So if they can, you know, foresee it that way and that's what they're looking at, trying to get this season back on track, I'm all for it. And I think that it's just fine. I mean, they were able to be successful in running their bubble. I don't know if they're going to run another bubble. What we're hearing is that they're going to go to the arena. No, bubbles are done. Yeah, so they're saying the Raptors are trying to figure out if they're going to be playing here in Toronto, if they're going to allow the games here, or if not, they're going to be looking for a location down in the U.S. We've heard Buffalo, we've heard uh, a couple other places, Nashville I'm hearing lately. So, yeah, so we'll see what happens there. But, I mean, in any case, if they get the league back on track, that's the best thing, really, because then things are going back on track next year and it's not a – reoccurring thing that they have to keep trying to make up that time. So I think it's good, and I'm not surprised at all. No, it, they, they were always targeting Christmas Day, and realistically, I don't want to hear any complaints from anyone because half the league has been off since March. And that's another, I don't want, that's I, another I, point. And yeah. this, this, that's this, right. Like, you, LeBron, okay, you had from March to August off, you came back, you played for two and a half months. I don't want to hear anything about being too tired and all this nonsense about, oh, it's only 71 days. Try being a, a soccer player where the, where the, 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 the off season, and I figured it out today because he was boohooing that uh, it was 71 days and the, the, the next shortest in North America was 90-something, 90, 90 99 or something. It was the NHL, which is actually not true because – Toronto FC in 2017 won MLS Cup on December 9th. They played their first regular season games. They'd already played two games before that in Champions League. They played their first regular season game March 3rd, 2018. It was 85 days, which is still shorter. But again, that's full season to start of next full season. That's not what's happening in the NBA. And if you look at like players that play in World Cups in Europe. Their their season goes from August to mid-May. In a World That's Cup or a, or a Euro year, they take a month off, and they don't even really take a month off. They don't play a game for a month before the World Cup or the Euro, but they're training all through that with mm-hmm. their national teams. If they go to the end, if they go to the final or semifinal of the World Cup or Euro, they're playing in mid-July. They get like two to three weeks off after that. So they're expected to be back playing with their club teams in the middle of August. I don't want to hear about all oh, the off-seasons too short. Prime yeah. <laughs> You know what? Excellent point by Mike, because that is true. They had the four-and-a-half-month break. Whether they were isolation or not, that's fine. And then there were like were only 22 teams that went to the bubble, so that was, you know, eight teams of players that were not doing anything for all that time. Right. So it's an excellent point, and I think that if you have to get the season back on track, and players are going to choose to do their load management, so be it. You know. Well, uh, for every LeBron James and Jimmy Butler that uh, has a short off season, uh, there's. Uh, Players like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, uh, who hadn't played in, uh, now granted they were injured, but uh, Steph Curry, who hasn't played, it'll be close to uh, a lot closer to a year uh, when. Uh, for Kevin Durant, it'll be a year and a half. Yeah, for, That's right. uh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I thought it would have been kind of cool if they did have a, uh, a big marquee day to open the season on Martin Luther King Day, but uh, if 
there's a chance that we could have some basketball on Christmas Day, then I'm definitely not going to say no to that either. So, uh, when it got, comes to Kyrie and Katie, we'll see if they can even play a full season. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 Durant, uh, Durant, I'd uh, put a couple of bucks down saying that he could do okay, but uh, Kyrie, I don't know. It remains to be seen. Guys, thank you so much once again. Uh, it was a real treat, just like the last time. Really hope we could do it again. Mike Leach, Neil Kumar, really appreciate you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, Randy. That's it for what's another edition. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Once again, find us on Facebook and Twitter at What's Up Podcast. I'm Randy Kure, and we'll talk to you next time. Oh, baby,